in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. On that amen. Through the grace of God, we will study tonight chapter 10 from the first letter of St. Paul to Corinthians. The church at Corinth sent St. Paul a question about should we eat what is offered to the idols or not? And St. Paul actually, in order to answer this question, he answered it in three chapters, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. In chapter 8, he was focusing on the difference between knowledge and love in answering such a question. So he told them, if you want me to answer this question, whether we should eat what's offered to the idols, according to the knowledge, I will tell you that idol is nothing. That's why nothing wrong in eating this meat, because there is nothing called idol. But if I want to answer this question based on love, not everybody has the right knowledge. That's why some people may consider that the idol is something to be respected and honored. So if they saw you who have knowledge sitting at the temple of the idols and eating from the meat that's offered to the idols, they may be offended. And because of your knowledge, your brother will perish. So, if I want to answer this question based on love, then actually I will tell you if eating meat will offend my brother, I will not eat meat at the world's dance. I will never eat meat. In chapter 9, he answered another objection. Why I give up my rights for my brother? This is my liberty. This is my freedom in Christ. Why I give up my rights? And St. Paul set himself as an example. He was an apostle, but he gave up some of his rights. He didn't have a wife like Peter, like the rest of the apostles. He didn't ask the church to support him financially. He labored by his hands in order to provide for his own needs. Although even the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ said, those who serve the altar should be supported by the altar. But he gave up his rights. Why? In order to spread the gospel of Christ, 
in order not to offend the brethren. And also he said, giving also up my rights will help me to grow in my spiritual life. That's why he concluded chapter 9 by saying, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest after I preached others, I myself be disqualified. Then actually in chapter 10, which the chapter that we will study tonight, St. Paul brings to a conclusion his discussion concerning things offered to idols. And he started by giving examples from uh, the Old Testament. How the people in the Old Testament, when they started to worship idols, God rejected them. And he said, the idol is nothing, but if you participate in the table of the idol, actually you are participating in the table of the demons. So there is power behind worshipping idols. Although the idol is nothing, but the power behind it is the power of the demons. That's why he warned them against provoking the Lord to jealousy by having fellowship with demons. And he rebuked those in Corinth who also eating sacrificial meat in the idol's temple. And he closed this chapter and this question by giving a specific instruction concerning meat that was sold in marketplaces. What should I do? And also, if I am invited to a house of unbeliever, what should I do? Should I eat from the meat or not? And then he said the Christian principle, that Christian should do everything for the glory of God and provide no occasion for others to stumble. And he asked them to imitate his example, to follow his example uh, in not offending others. So let's start studying this chapter from verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the clouds, all passed through the sea. St. Paul started by telling them that although God chose Israel and delivered them from the Egyptians, 
with the mighty hand and he made miracles with them. It's exactly like our deliverance from the bondage of Satan. But when these people start to worship idol, God rejected them. Uh, so now he enforces the lesson that we should not offend others by participating in the temple of the idols. Pointing to the warning given in the journey of Israel from Egypt to Canaan. And he used this journey as an example of our journey to heavenly Jerusalem. So the journey of Israel from Egypt to the promised land is like our journey from the land of bondage being in the kingdom of Satan to heavenly Jerusalem. He said, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud all passed through the sea. What does it mean that they were all under cloud? This cloud that was overshadowed them represents the presence of God. How God was overshadowing them by his cloud. This cloud actually protected them from the heat of the sun by day and gave them light by night. So this cloud represents the existence and the presence of God. All of them passed through the sea. He is referring how the Lord opened a way in the midst of the Red Sea, in the midst of the water to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians. And St. Paul in verse 2 said, this is a symbol. Symbol of what? Symbol of baptism. As it says in verse 2, all were baptized into Moses, in the cloud and in the sea. How we start our journey with Christ by baptism? And how the children of Israel started their journey by baptism. Their way baptized, crossing the Red Sea, is a symbol of baptism. But when he said they were baptized into Moses, what he meant by into Moses? Baptized into Moses means they entered the old covenant. The covenant that God made with Moses. Because our baptism not into the old covenant, but the Christian baptism is into the new covenant. We are baptized into Christ. But they were baptized into Moses means they entered into the old covenant with God, not the new covenant. Because Moses was the servant of God, representative of the Old Testament covenant, uh, of the law, as our Lord Jesus Christ is the new covenant. 
all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. What does it mean in the cloud and in the sea? As I told you, the cloud represents the presence of God, and the sea is the water. So we can say the cloud represents the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the Red Sea represents the water. That's what the Lord said in John chapter 3, unless you are baptized of water and spirit. Water and spirit. So the water is the waters of the Red Sea, the spirit is the cloud. Verse 3. All eat the same spiritual food. All eat the same spiritual food. Why he call it spiritual food? He was referring to the manna. And he called it spiritual food because it was given from heaven to them. And all of them ate from the manna. And the manna represents what? Represents the communion. And that's exactly what happened after the child is baptized. He takes communion. So after they were baptized into Moses, they ate from the spiritual uh, bread that was given to them supernaturally. As God gave us his body and his blood on the altar. Verse 4, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. I'm sure you know the story when Moses hit the rock in Raphadim, and water came out of this rock. And he called this water, spiritual water, represent what? Uh, spiritual water because it was given to them miraculously, supernaturally. And the water here represents the Holy Spirit. You know, when the Lord in the Gospel of St. John stood in the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles and he told them, Whoever believes in me, fountains of living water will flow from him. And then St. John commented on this by saying, he was referring to the Holy Spirit to be given to the believers. So, the water here, the spiritual water, represents the Holy Spirit. And after baptism, the child is anointed with the holy oil and receives the Holy Spirit. But he said here that the rock followed them, the drag of that spiritual rock that followed them. But literally, the rock did not follow them. So when he spoke about the rock here, he was not speaking, uh, not speaking about the rock from which the water came, but about the water behind the, sorry, about the power behind this rock, which is the power of God. That's why he said, and the rock was Christ. So the rock of Raphael did not follow them, but the spiritual rock, Christ, 
the Son of God, the divine power, actually followed them in their journey in the wilderness of Sinai and supplied their necessities. As when we receive the Holy Spirit after baptism, the Holy Spirit continues with us in our journey in the wilderness of the world and supply for all our uh, spiritual necessities. And as the rock of Raphael became a fountain, so Christ actually is the fountain of the living water. He sent us the Holy Spirit. So he is the fountain of the living water to the world, the Holy Spirit that we receive in the sacrament of chrismation. And as the rock was smitten in order to bring water, the Lord Jesus Christ himself was smitten and was crucified and died on the cross to send us the Holy Spirit, the fountain of the living water. Verse 5. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now St. Paul starts to tell us his warning that if we participate in idol worshiping, then actually, although we are baptized, although we receive the Holy Spirit, although we have communion with Him, by eating His body and drinking His blood, but maybe we, we provoke God to jealousy if our hearts are attached to any of the idols of the world. So, all were baptized, all were spiritually fed, all they drank from the spiritual water. But many were overthrown in the wilderness because of their sins. That's what St. Paul said. Most of them, God was not well pleased with them. What? And, and, and what's the indication that God was not well pleased with them? Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So this is a serious warning to all of us in our spiritual journey in the wilderness of this world. Verse 6. Now these things became our examples. So what's written in the Old Testament, written to teach us. There is lesson to us here. To the intent that we should not last after evil things as they also last. So, St. Paul started to tell us about some sins that they committed in the wilderness of Sinai. And actually, he highlighted five sins. Five sins. The first sin, they lust after evil things. That's why he told us, these were written to teach us that we should not lust after evil things as they also lust. The Israelites were led astray by lusting after evil things. And this was the source of their destruction. And in the same way, if we follow 
the lustful pleasures of the world, we in the same way will perish. That's why we should learn that we should not lust after evil things. The second warning in verse 7, and do not become idolaters as were well some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Corinth was known by idolatry. Many people worshipped idols in Corinth. And he told us, he reminded us with the story, when Aaron made the golden calf, and the people of Israel sat down to eat and drink at a feast in honor of the golden calf. And after this, they rose up to play, which means to dance around the idol. And this was a warning to the Corinthians to avoid and stop going to the banquets in the idol temples and all the festivities uh, accompanying uh, the worship of the idols. So he reminded them that we should not displease God, number one, by not lusting after evil things. Number two, we should not participate in any form of idolatry. Now, love of money is a form of uh, worshiping the idols. Ego is another form of worshiping the idol of the ego. And all these things uh, provoke God to jealousy. The third word, verse 8, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. St. Paul is referring to the story in the book of Numbers, chapter 25, from verse 1 to 10, when the Israelites committed adultery with the women of Midian. But maybe for the first impression we can see some discrepancy between what St. Paul said and what written, what's written in Numbers chapter 25. <laughs> because St. Paul said 23,000 But if you go to the book of Numbers chapter 25, you will find that uh, the number is 24,000. So there is 1,000 uh, uh, difference. There are two explanations about this difference. First explanation, St. Paul said, and in one day, $23,000. So, first day, $23,000. Then actually 1,000 died on the following day. So the total number, 24,000. But St. Paul mentioned those who died on the first day. Another explanation, maybe 
those who died were like 23,500. So Moses in the book of Numbers summed up to 24. And uh, St. Paul summed down to 23. So uh, actually there is no discrepancy either because he mentioned one day, so Moses and number include all people who died in the plague, but St. Paul mentions those who died in one day, or another explanation that the number was between 23,000 and 24,000, and is stated in each place by around some. Either the smaller, St. Paul used 23, or the higher number, Moses the prophet used 24,000. So St. Paul is warning so far from lusting after evil things, all forms of idolatry, also from sexual immorality. Number four, verse nine, nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted him, and were destroyed by serpents. St. Paul here is referring to the event mentioned in Numbers chapter 21 from verse 4 to 6, when people were discontent and uh, complain that they will die in the wilderness. And God actually sent the serpents and destroyed uh, many of them. So the lesson here, if we go through difficult time, if we go through hardship, we shouldn't be discontented over hardships or look for sinful pleasures of a former life as the children of Israel start to think about their sinful pleasure in Egypt. Because if we are doing this, we are tempting God. And he said, let us not tempt Christ as some of them tempted and what was the result? They were destroyed by serpents. And the last warning, so number one, we should not lust after evil things. Number two, all forms of idolatry. Number three, we should avoid sexual immorality. Number four, we should not tempt Christ. We, should not, we, we shouldn't be discontent if we go through difficult time. Number five, nor complain. As some of them also complained and were destroyed by destroyers. Actually, when God punished Korah and his company, the people started to complain as we read in Numbers, chapter 16, verse 41 and 49. And they complained against Moses and Aaron, but God took this complaint against his men as if they were complaining against God himself. And that's why they were destroyed by the destroyer. As we read in the book of Numbers, 
14,700 perished. And Sanfun here actually is uh, helping because the people at Corinth were complaining against him and uh, casting doubts on his apostleship. And when he said they were destroyed by the destroyer, he was referring to the destroying in an angel that was sent by God to kill all the firstborn of the Egyptians. And here just I want to mention that being a complainer is not right. Some people all the time they complain and complain and complain. And this is considered a sin. They are not satisfied, they are not happy. All the time they have something to nag about and to complain about. And St. Paul here is saying, let us not complain. And some of them also complain and were destroyed by the destroyer. These are the five things that displeased God. Although they were baptized into Moses, although they ate from the spiritual manna, although they drank from the spiritual water, but God destroyed them in the wilderness. Why? Because they lusted after evil things, because they worshipped idols, because they committed sexual immorality, because they tempted Christ by being uh, discontented uh, over the hardships, and finally, because they complained against the men of God, Moses and Aaron, and that's why God destroyed them. So these are historical facts designed to teach us great lessons. We should avoid all these forms of sin, lest God will be displeased with us. As we said in verse 11, now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So these are examples for our admonition in order to learn lessons from these examples. What he means, what did he mean by upon whom the end of the ages have come? Our age after the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is called the end of the ages because it is the culmination of all ages by the coming of Christ and by establishing the new covenant with us. So when he said upon whom the end of ages have come, he is referring to the people after Christ. Verse 12, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Many people out of pride, they think they stand. And they believe because they stand, they will not fall. But St. Paul is saying, no. The fact that you are standing right now 
Does it mean that you will not fall? You need to be watchful, lest you fall. So, this is actually the greatest of all dangers. That you believe that you are standing and you are beyond falling. You are beyond falling. Actually, he who realizes that he might fall will be on his guard, will be watchful. But if you believe that you are beyond falling, actually it will be very easy for you to fall down. That's why the safest way is to acknowledge our weakness and not to hang around temptation. Some people say, no, I'm strong. I can go to this place or I can do this activity. I will not fall. This assumption is very, very dangerous. But if you acknowledge your weakness and you escape and you flee from temptation, then actually you will not fall. But if you say, no, I can live in Sodom and Gomorrah, I'm strong, I will not fall, I am beyond falling, you will be tempted and you will fall. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. But some people would argue, we fall not because of our weakness, we fall because the temptation is greater than what we can endure. But St. Paul said, no, you have the grace of Christ, you have the grace of God. Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to men. So, the temptation that we face every day, just a regular temptation, any human being anywhere in the world face the same temptation. So, the Corinthians thought that their temptations were severe, beyond their ability. But St. Paul is telling them, no, any human being is exposed to the same temptation. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. And he's reminding them with the promises of God. God will keep his promise. And he will never allow you to be tempted above your ability. God will never allow Satan to tempt you beyond your ability. Not only that, but when the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Many people ask why God allows temptation. But instead of asking this, you should understand that God, number one, will never tempt you beyond your ability. Number two, with any temptation, God will give you the way of escape. God will give you strength 
and deliverance in every temptation if you trusted in him and if you believed in him. But if you choose to separate yourself from Christ and try to protect yourself from temptation by yourself, you will fall. So the temptation here, we have to know these facts around temptation. All the temptation that we are facing are common to all human beings. That's the first fact. Second fact, God will never allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. Third fact, God will give you the way of escape with temptation. How to uh, overcome the temptation. So it is up to you to trust in Christ and overcome temptation or to fall into temptation. All this introduction, St. Paul wants to come to this lesson. Flee from idolatry. As he said in, in verse 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Many people actually were eating the meat that was offered to idols and were offending people. That's why St. Paul told them in Corinth, idolatry is the greatest temptation that, that's combined with lust, drinking, and other forms of evil. And you as Christian, you need to flee from all these sins. Otherwise, God will uh, destroy you as happened with the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. Some people say, no, I'm strong. I can go to the temple of the idols. I will not be tempted. That's why I told them, if you think that you stand, watch this before. So you should not linger with sin. You should not hang around sin. But you should shun sin. You should avoid sin completely. Flee. Escape. The word flee means you are escaping from a danger. You are, you are escaping from danger. From verse 15 to verse 29, 22, sorry, St. Paul is speaking about the idols, celebrations, and the Lord's Supper. And in this passage, he is saying, although the idol is nothing, but there is power behind the idol, which is demonic power. So if you are eating from the meat that's offered to the idols, you are participating in the table of the demons. And you cannot participate in the table of the demons and in the table of the Lord at the same time. Otherwise, you provoke God to jealousy. Verse 15. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. St. Paul here is appealing to their wisdom. Athens, uh, sorry, Corinth is part of Greece. And Greece is very well known 
by philosophy and wisdom. So we told them, I know you are wise. You have the power of judgment. That's why I want you to use your wisdom and your good judgment to examine what I'm going to say right now. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. Verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, which cup is the chalice that has the blood of Christ. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And again, uh, the cup of blessing, this is a name given to the cup of the Eucharist, the divine leadership. And this statement, this verse, is a very clear statement about the reality of the blood of Christ. Many people, not uh, other denominations, say this is just a symbol, not the real body of Christ, not the real body and real blood. But listen to the words of St. Paul here, the cup of blessing, the cup of the Eucharist, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Very clear. The bread which you break, the bread that we use in communion in Eucharist, in Christian, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? These are very, very two clear statements about the change of the elements from bread and wine into body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse uh, 17. For we, though many, are one bread and one body. For we all partake of that one bread. St. Paul actually is explaining uh, something in the rituals of the divine liturgy. Why do we use one bread? Why do we not use three or four bread? Why do we use one cup? Why do we not use three or four cups? Why? Because although we are many, although we are many, but all of us are one body, the body of Christ. That's why we have one bread. And also we use only one cup because we are one body. So we Christians, though many, are all one body, the body of Christ. And if you recall the prayer that we say in St. Peter liturgy after the descent of the Holy Spirit, Abuna says, Make us all worthy of our master to partake of your holiness unto the purification of our souls, body, and spirit, that we may become one body and one spirit. So by all of us partaking from the same body and the same cup, we become, although we are many, we become one with Christ, the body of Christ. So although we are many, we are will partake of that one bread. Verse 18. Now he spoke, after he spoke about the uh, sacrifice of the New Testament, now he will mention the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Verse 18. Observe Israel after the flesh. 
was used by Israel after the flesh. Israel as a nation, the natural Israel. In contrast to spiritual Israel, we are the spiritual Israel. We are born not of flesh, not of will of men, not of blood, but born of God through baptism. But that is Israel after the flesh who are born Israelites according to the flesh. So now he's speaking about the Old Testament. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? As you know, in the Old Testament, part of the sacrifice was offered on the altar of permanent offering. Another part of the sacrifice, the people who offer the sacrifice, they eat it. That's why he said, those who offer the sacrifice are partakers of the altar. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? So, uh, because part of the sacrifice was eaten by the people, and the other part was burdened of the altar, as offered to God, so they are partakers with God in this feast or in this sacrifice or in this celebration. In the same way, St. Paul is what he's trying to say. We who eat communion, we take communion, we are one with God. Those who eat the sacrifices in the Old Testament, they are one with the Old of the Old Testament. In the same way, those who eat from the sacrifices offered to the idols are one with the idols. That's what he is trying to mention here. Verse 19. What am I saying then? What I'm trying to explain to you that an idol is anything, or what is offered to idols is anything? He's saying. Did I deny what I said in, in chapter 8 that idol is nothing? No, I know that idol is nothing. So here, I'm not taking back my words when I said that uh, idols is nothing. I'm not saying now that idol is something. I'm not saying that an idol is anything or what's offered to idol is anything. Rather, that's what I'm saying, verse 20. That the things which is the Gentiles Sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. So he said, yes, idols is nothing. But these sacrifices are offered to the demons behind the idols. So actually, if you are partaking in the sacrifices offered to the idols, you have fellowship with demons. We have fellowship with demons. So all these sacrifices are offered to Satan and the devils. So in reality is saying the gods of heathen, the gods of the Gentiles are, uh, are the, the demons. So, although the idol is nothing, but to those who worship the idol, 
this idol is reality for them. And this reality for them is not God. But this reality for them is the demons. Satan and all the demons. That's why in verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of the demons. You cannot come on Sunday and drink the cup of the Lord and then you go and drink the cup of the demons if you eat from what's offered to the idols. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of the demons. You cannot have communion with both, either to choose this or to choose that. But you cannot have communion with both because you are one here with God and there you are one with demons. So how can you be one with God and demons at the same time? You cannot. Verse 22. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than him? He's saying, if we do this, we are provoking God to jealousy by dividing our fellowship between God and idols. And this is what we call duality when we live dual life. Many of us, unfortunately, they are living this dual life. We come here and worship the Lord on Sunday. And then there is banquet or celebration or uh, wedding banquet. And then we drink and we dance and, and we participate with the, with the table of the demons. How come, how come you live dual life? You cannot do this and that. Or you cannot serve here as a deacon or attend the church and take from the cup of the Lord and then you go to my clubs and you cannot. You have to choose this or that. Otherwise, if we are living dual life, we are provoking God to jealousy. And here's a tool. It's challenging all of us. Do you know whom you are provoking to jealousy? This is God. Are you always stronger than me? Can you take the risk of disputing with God and provoking him to jealousy. Go back to the Old Testament and see what happened to the people who provoked God to jealousy. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness of Sinai. So, if you don't do it out of love, do it out of fear. We are not stronger than him. We are not stronger than him. So actually St. Paul gave many reasons why we should not eat from the meat offered to the idols. Number one, because the law of love. I should not offend my brother. Number two, it is a good spiritual exercise to give up my rights. I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Less after I preach others, I myself become disqualified. And number three, because eating was offered to the idols as if I am, I have fellowship with the demons. And I, I'm living a dual life. And I'm provoking God to jealousy. For all these reasons, now St. Paul is coming to the conclusion whether we should eat or not. Verse 23 to the end of the chapter, he spoke about 
anything you do, and all things you do, you should do it to the glory of God. Verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things can be found. So, yes, maybe it's lawful, but you need to think about it. Is it helpful? Is it edifying? Many people argue about drinking. What's wrong in drinking? Actually, you can apply the same lesson from here. Yes, it is lawful, but is it helpful? Is it edifying? No. Many people after start drinking end up alcoholic. And then you can offend the others. So if you follow the law of love, if you ask yourself, is it helpful? Is it defying? You will come to the conclusion that we as Christians, we should not drink. Not because it's not lawful, but because it's not helpful, it's not defying, and it may offend others. So, there are things are lawful. Lawful means they are not, not sinful in themselves. Lawful means they are not sinful in themselves, but they are not helpful or edifying maybe to myself or to my neighbor, to others. That's why in verse 24, another Christian principle, let no one seek his own, but each one the others will be. Don't say, this is my right. Why I give up my rights for my brother? No, as Christian, if you are saying this, then you are selfish. But if you have the love of Christ in your heart, then you will not be seeking your own. You will be, you will be seeking the well-being of the others. Let no man seek his own right, but consider the interests of others. And as an application, Sanpul is answering another question about eating the meat sold in the market. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market. Asking no question for conscience sake. So, whatever is sold in the market, you may buy it and eat it. And Sanpul is saying, don't ask a question. Don't ask whether it is offered to an idol or not. Why? Why I shouldn't ask? Because idol is nothing. And maybe if you ask the question, you will trouble your conscience. That's why he said, for conscience sake. So, if one... If you ask, and then you heard that this meat was offered to the idols, a doubt would arise in your conscience whether you should eat it or not. That's why it's better not to ask any question. Just buy and eat it without asking any question. Because we don't believe in idolatry. There is nothing called idols. But if you ask a question, then here, actually, maybe you, you are troubling your conscience. Verse 26. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, 
everything belongs to the Lord. He is quoting here uh, one of the Psalms that we pray actually in the third hour in the Ikbay. All that is offered for sale is the gift of the Lord. All this meat is the gift of the Lord. So just buy, eat it, don't ask questions. Because the whole earth belongs to the Lord and all its fullness. What is on earth, like the animals that uh, we put uh, to eat it, belong to God. So don't ask whether it is offered to idols or not. Then, another question, if non-believer invited you to a dinner. Verse 27, if any of those who do not believe, if a non-believer invites you to dinner, and you desire to go, and you want to go, eat whatever is set before you. Whatever is set before you, eat. Again, asking no questions for the conscience sake. So if you are invited to an unbeliever's house, an unbeliever, go and eat without again asking any question, lest you trouble your conscience. But what if somebody is there and he told you this meat open to the idols? How would you react? To begin with, you will not ask questions in order not to trouble your conscience. But if somebody told you, what you going, how are you going to react? Verse 28, but if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat for the sake of the one who told you. The person who told you intended to inform you because he believes that this meat is unclean because it's over to the idols. So actually if you eat, you will trouble his conscience and you will offend him. That's why if somebody told you this meat is offered to an idol, don't eat. For the sake of the one who told you, and for the conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Again, if someone points out that a part is from an idol sacrifice, then you should not eat. Not because the food is sinful, but in order not to offend your brother's conscience. Although you know that the earth belongs to God and all its fullness, so when you eat simply without asking questions, nothing wrong. But if you know, then actually your relationship with your brother is more important than anything. And you have to put his interest before your right to eat from this meat. That's why in verse 29 he said, Conscience, I say not your own conscience, but that of the other. So, conscience here is not your conscience, because you know that the earth is the Lord and all its fullness. But your brother who told you this meat is offered to the idol, you will trouble his conscience if you eat from Then St. Paul said, For why is my liberty judged by another's man's conscience? If you eat 
and you don't care about his statement, then actually he will judge you. And St. Paul is saying, why do you put yourself in this situation? To be judged and to be condemned just for, for some food? No. Give up. Give up your right. So do not eat lest your liberty in Christ be judged and condemned by others' conscience, by the conscience of the weak brethren. Verse 20 verse 30. But if I partake with thanks, why am I even spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Again, don't eat. Because although you are eating and giving thanks to God, but they will speak evil about you because you eat from this meat. So why? something you actually are doing and giving thanks to God for it. Why you offend others and make them speak evil of you? So do not eat lest you be evil spoken of concerning that for which you give thanks. Don't eat lest you give them opportunity to speak evil about you about something you do and you give thanks to God, thanks to God for it. That's why he came to a golden verse. I consider first Corinthians chapter ten, verse thirty one is the golden verse. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We Christians, we must order ourselves that we don't seek our rights or what pleases us, but we seek the glory of God. So whatever I do, I should ask myself, is this going to glorify God or not? If I'm going to offend my brother, I'm not glorifying God. So whatever you do, eating, drinking, or any other activity, doing for the glory of God. Some people say, you know what, no, I, I dress as I like. This is my freedom, my liberty in Christ. But if you offend others, actually I'm not glorifying God. So whatever you do, whether eating or drinking or any other activity, do it all for the glory of God. Verse 32, give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the Church of God. When you glorify God, means you give thanks to God. Not only you, but you are making others to glorify your Heavenly Father. Let your light shine before many so they see your good works and glorify your Heavenly Father. That's how you do everything for the glory of God. That's why he said, do not give offense. Not only to your brothers and, and, and sisters in the church, but he said, neither to the Jews, nor to the Greeks, nor to the Christians. Some people, for example, are very careful in their behavior in front of uh, the church 
to greet us. But when they go away, they say, nobody knows me. So they, they, they behave uh, improperly. But no. St. Paul said, your behavior should be consistent. You should not offend neither Jew nor Greek nor uh, a believer, church of God. Wherever you go, give no offense. Do nothing that would produce a scandal, whether to Jews or Gentiles or believers. Verse 33. Just as I also please all men in all things. I please all men in all things mean I put their interest before my own interest. Does it mean I please them on the expense of the truth? No. But here I put their interest before my interest. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit. The selfish people will say, but this is my right. I am free to do what I want to do. Don't tell me not to. I am free. No, this is not the attitude of the Christian. Not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. So my goal here is their salvation. That's why I should not give any offense to anybody. And I will give up my freedom and my rights in order to please others in order to lead them to salvation. Glory be to God forever and ever.